you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, the, the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. It's right after the book of Galatians. I remember that from, a, from uh, when I was younger. How do you remember uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, GE Power Company? Okay, but there you go. So GE Power Company, Ephesians is after Galatians. Uh, and if you're using a pew Bible, not page 977, this one, or 976. All right, so uh, we're in our uh, series on the fruit of the Spirit, the fruitful Christian. Uh, what is the Christian like? We've dealt with joy and uh, love and joy, and this morning we're dealing uh, with peace. Uh, around Christmas time, uh, television networks and the news media will go out and they'll send their roving reporter out into the world to do a, uh, you know, uh, some kind of segment on what, what do you want? What do you want for the world? What would you like for Christmas? Uh, and uh, they do it during New Year's as well, if you watch any New Year's celebrations. What do you want for the New Year? Uh, inevitably, almost everyone that they interview says, we want world peace. That's what we want, world peace. Uh, and at Christmas time, that tends to be on everyone's mind because uh, if you remember... Uh, when the a- angels announce to the shepherds that Christ has been born, uh, they do announce peace. Um, but the world takes that announcement and changes it slightly. Uh, because what the world wants is not the peace that God offers. They want a cheap peace. Uh, they want uh, the kind of peace that comes without sacrifice. They want the kind of peace that comes uh, without any cost. But the Bible teaches us, and one of the things we're going to see today is that peace comes at a price. Uh, we're dealing with the third fruit today. Uh, look at Ephesians 1, verse 2, real quick. This is by way of introduction. Ephesians 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I say that almost every uh, morning whenever we gather for worship, grace and peace. I, I try to remember to say that. Sometimes I have to be reminded. Uh, Paul in his letters is offering and talking about all the time grace and peace. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he begins in verses 1 through 10 talking about God's grace and how we can have God's grace. And now in verses 11 uh, through 22, he deals with the second part of that. He says God's grace to you, but also God's peace to you. So in 11 through 22 here in verse 2, he's talking about God's peace. Peace is an evident part of the Christian life. It's a fruit of the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you will show forth peace. Okay, so let's talk about, uh, or let me read this for us, and then we'll talk about what that means to have peace. Verses 11 through 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's ask for his help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this uh, word today. We pray that you would encourage our hearts by it and that we would all have the peace of God that you offer us through the work of the Spirit because of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So this morning I want to see this passage in three ways. First of all, Paul begins by talking about the essential problem, the problem. Uh, And I'll just give you the summary of the problem. The problem is we're aliens. We're aliens in verses 11 and 12. So look there real quick in verse 11. He begins, and probably many of your translations begin with the word remember. Paul wants for these people, the Ephesians, those that live in Ephesus, the Ephesian people, the, the Christians there, to remember something about who they were. He says you were called uh, you were called kind of uncircumcised by those who were circumcised. You were called something else. Uh, and it's interesting here, the words that he uses in verse 12, he uses the word alienated. Um, I've said this before, I've mentioned this before. I grew up fascinated by aliens. I grew up, um, when I would go to the library, mom would take me to the library over the summer, and I had to read 50 books over the summer. That was mom's requirement for me, 50 books over the summer. And I would check out every book on aliens that they had, and I would read those books. I loved reading about aliens. There was something about space and otherworldly invaders that just captivated my attention. Um, I... You know, and it's just, you know, if you hear someone talking about aliens, you're immediately, you're, oh, aliens. Because it's so different and otherworldly. And here in this passage, Paul says, this is who you were. You were an alien. You were an outsider. And he uses those words. Um, Alien stories are fascinating and fascinating. the summer blockbusters are about to start, okay, uh, the blockbuster movies. And I guarantee you half of these big-budget films are going to be all about aliens because we're just captivated by them. And all of the plot for these is going to – they're going to be exactly the same. All of the plot – all of their plot lines, it's going to be an alien invades. They're outsiders. We don't know if they're friend or foe. And then something's going to happen – whether by accident or whether by intention, and the aliens are going to be foes and they have to be destroyed. That's what all alien movies are about. Because even if aliens come in peace, as they say we come in peace, 
they're so different that they have to be destroyed. That's, that's what alien movies are about, essentially. But here's the twist in this story. When Paul says that we're alienated from God, what he wants, the point that he wants to get across is that it's not that God is the alien, but we are aliens to God. And what do aliens struggle with? When they come into our world, aliens, they're not used to our environment. They're not used to our ecosystem, right? And so inevitably what aliens have to do is they have to change our ecosystem to match what they're used to. And so alien movies, alien stories involve aliens changing the world in order to fit their needs. And that's what Paul says we're like. Because we are aliens to God, we have invaded his world, and we begin to change God's ecosystem to match our own, which is sin. We bring with us into God's world sin and death. Now there are five things that that Paul says we are because of who we are or who we were. Look at those five things in verse 12. Remember that at one time you were separated from God. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Five things that we are. Five things See, God had worked in the Old Testament a plan to make sure that there were a group of people that were not aliens. He had worked that plan in the Old Testament. He had called a people to himself, and he says that we were people who were outside of that plan. So that's the bad news. That's the thing that that we need to understand, that we were aliens to God, that we could not make peace, that our very presence in God's world because of sin is offensive to God. Uh, the most vivid reminder of, uh, of that offensiveness would have been the temple in Israel, the temple in Jerusalem. The, the thing to remember about the temple, as God commanded his people to come and to worship, was the number of barriers that you had to go through to get to God. There were barriers, massive Walls that you had to get through to get to God. And only certain people could get through those walls. And then once you got past those big walls, there were more walls. And and the next wall that you had to get through, if you were a Gentile, you couldn't go any further than that first wall. And then if you wanted to go to the, to the second wall, you could if you were a Jew. But then there was a third wall, and if you were a woman, you couldn't go past that third wall. The men could go in a little bit further. But, you know, all of us were shut out from the very place where we wanted to be the most, the Holy of Holies. See, everything about the temple was a barrier. And as you got closer and closer and closer to God, the barriers and the danger got even greater. So that one time of year, the the high priest could go in, but only after he spent hours upon hours and days upon days of mental, spiritual, and physical preparation to go meet with God. And even then, as you'll remember, they would tie a rope around his ankle just in case this alien creature who walked into the presence of God, who if he didn't do the right thing the exact right way, if he died in his presence, could be drug out of there so that no one else would go and be and offend God in his holiness. Everything about our existence, who we were, was offensive and different and strange and deserved death. So remember that. Now, 
Paul uses a past tense verb to describe these people. He says, remember that at one time you were those things. You were those things. He's preaching to them the bad news so that he can prepare them for the good news that's coming. But before we get to the good news, I need to ask you that question. Can that be said of you? Can the the past tense verb be used of you? You were alien to God, but has something changed? Are you now something different? Now, what that different thing is, is coming. But can the past tense verb be used about you? You were strangers. You were aliens. You were shut out. What about you today? If you have... If you don't have peace, and maybe you've come this morning saying, well, I don't have peace. I have, you know, I'm told that to have, you know, to be a Christian, I'm supposed to have peace. But I don't have peace. Maybe it's because you're still an alien to God. Now, to become, uh, to be different, we have to go into the next part. And that's the price that is paid, the costly price of peace that is paid So that we're no longer aliens, but we're something better. And and I've given you in your outline, I've said we're adopted by God. Or uh, another word is accepted. Okay? So starting in verse 13, um, Paul, Paul begins to unfold what it means to have peace from God. And the price that peace cost. Um, he uses a very small word, a word that we just... Skip right over, not thinking very much about it in verse 13. He says, but you were aliens, you were shut out, you were outside and away from God, but something happened. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the word but there in Ephesians contains the whole of the gospel. You were offensive to God, but God did something. Same thing could be seen in chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, you were you were a sinner uh, following the prince of the air, disobedient to God, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were like nature uh, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive with Christ. It's the same thing here. You were something but God. But now in Christ, in verse 13, you who were once far off, you who were once aliens, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, there's really only two ways to have peace. There's really only two ways to have peace. You can conquer or be conquered. Those are the only two options that you have for peace. If you are at war... You can be the conqueror, or you can be conquered. Um, And I think about, um, you know, World War I. World War I was supposed to be the war to end all wars. And it was a massive war with uh, casualties, the likes of of which the world had never seen. It It was supposed to be so big that it solved all of the world's problems. Uh, the hope was that science had, had progressed mankind to the point that he no longer needed war to solve his problems. In World War I, as the height of scientific um, uh, 
innovation and technology was supposed to be the sign that man had progressed to a point where, again, he didn't need war anymore. But you know how it goes. The war to end all war was not the last war. And as a matter of fact, the remainder of the 20th century was the bloodiest century. And more people were killed by war and tyrants in the 20th century than all of the previous centuries combined. You see, all of our progress as humanity did not give us peace. And in fact, it gave us something else. It gave us disaster. There's no such thing as laying down of arms and getting peace according to the way the world operates. Uh, see, after World War I, Germany laid down their arms. They were forced into a treaty, a peace treaty. But did that solve the problems? No, because Germany wanted world domination. Germany wanted to control the world and saw themselves as the best that there was. And even though they were made to lay down their arms... Real peace was not accomplished. But again, there's only two ways to have peace. You can be conquered or you can conquer. Um, You know, we can have peace right now today in the world. That there could be peace everywhere. There could be no more war. You realize that is a possibility. Do you know what it takes? Do you know what it would take for there to be no more war today? You and I would have to decide to be a slave. That's what it would take to have world peace. We would have to decide and get our representatives who make these decisions to go to war, to get our president, to get everyone involved, say, you know what? We're going to stop fighting. We're going to let the war on terror and, and the Muslims just have control of the United States. We don't want to fight anymore. We will be slaves of, uh, of others. There's only two ways to have peace, to be conquered and to be a slave or to conquer. So both of those things won't work because even if you conquer, the ones that you conquer are going to be bitter and angry at you. And if you become a slave, obviously, you're going to be bitter and angry at them. I thought about this as well, the the price of, of peace in the world Um, there are two songs that essentially capture uh, the desire for peace. Uh, They both came out of the the, the 20th century, the later 20th century, about the 1960s, 1970s. Those two songs, I think, are songs that you probably identify with in one way or another. Uh, The first one is by uh, Old Blue Eyes, I Did It My Way. Uh, Whenever Frank Sinatra sang that song and he's saying, I did it my way, what he's saying is, I conquered the world. I did everything exactly like I wanted to do it. And he's saying, and he's trying to project this image of peace that he accomplished because he did it his way. And the hope that he offers there is just by you doing it your way as well, then you too can have peace. There's little subtle reminders in there, though, in that song that he actually didn't accomplish peace. And his life was full of turmoil. I did it my way is a lie. You cannot have peace by forcing your will. Uh, the second song that I think about is the, is the song Imagine by John Lennon. Imagine if there were no war, if there were no religions. Imagine there were no governments. Imagine there was no distinctions or boundaries or anything and the world would be perfect. 
In Frank Sinatra's version, he says, fight to the end and you'll have peace. In John Lennon's version, he says, stop fighting, just give it all up and you'll have peace. Both fail because humanity and you is at the center of those. Here's the biblical answer to that. Here's the biblical answer and how we can have peace. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. The biblical answer to peace is not... um, It's not us accomplishing something. But the biblical answer for peace is peace is a person. Peace is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus is our peace. Some time ago, I read a book called Peace Child. Uh, Peace Child is a book that that many missionaries uh, are are made to read because it deals with a a missionary, a a man who was going into a a tribe who was trying to um, figure out how to uh, talk to these people uh, with a strange language, with strange customs about the scriptures and about Jesus to convert them. Uh, And this man, he went to this tribe, uh, and this tribe was a tribe of cannibals. Uh, They... They were constantly at war, constantly fighting with other tribes. And whenever they would fight, they would win. They would cannibalize the other tribes. And this man, this missionary, was trying to figure out a way to to share the gospel with them. And whenever he was explaining the gospel story, he got to the part of Judas and was explaining that Judas betrayed the, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And when he talked about Judas kissing Jesus on the cheek... The the tribe stood up and applauded and cheered because for them, Judas was the champion. That's how backwards their thinking was. The man that betrayed Jesus was the winner. He said, "How how do you teach these people about the gospel? Well, eventually after years of working with these tribes, he saw them doing something with another tribe that they were at war at. And they had a little child that was born in their tribe and they traded that little child with the tribe that they were at war with, and that tribe gave them a child. You see, the cost of peace for this tribe was they had to give one of their own to the tribe. And they took one of the, the child from the other tribe, and they said, because we don't know who we're fighting against, it could be that we kill one of our own, and so we will not fight against you. And uh, this missionary said, aha, that's it, that's, that's the gospel. God gave us himself so that we would lay down arms. Jesus is our peace. The price of peace is the blood of Christ. You see, the gospel is that God was conquered on the cross. And we are conquered by Jesus in his resurrection. Jesus in his Body broke down the walls that were built up. All the walls of the temple, and the final wall, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And he brought all of God's people together. Jesus paid the price in his body. He paid the price that we should have paid. You can't earn this peace. This peace has to be given to you. Well, do you have this peace? Do you have the peace? For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus did these things for us so that we can have peace with God and peace with each other. You see, in Christ, if you have this peace, there's no need for you to do it like 
to do like what Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way, and fight and scratch and claw to put others down to raise yourself up. In Christ, there's no need for that. You have peace with God. In Christ, there's also no need to fit into the crowd, to try to get other people to like you. I think those are our two things, two poles that are constantly pulling at us. To try to get people to like us or to try to make ourselves better than other people. And you see, in Christ, there's no need for us to do that. We have the full acceptance from God. He has welcomed us into his family. You see, he welcomed an alien into his family. He welcomed a stranger into his family. And he said, you're no longer a stranger or an alien, but now you're a child. You're my child. If you have been fully accepted and validated by God the Father in Christ through the work of the Spirit, what else do you need? There's no need for money, acceptance, validation from others. You have everything. So finally, we're going to talk about now the the possessing of that peace. What it means. What it means for you to have peace with God. And what God says here is, The peace that I give is the greatest thing that you can have because it means you have access. It means you have access. Um, At some point in our lives, even if you're not a very important person, uh, you'll probably have an opportunity to be treated like a VIP. Um, And I've shared the story with you before where I was able to go and sit in the governor's box to watch a Saints game And I got to meet Tom Benson, and the governor was there, and all of those things. Um, And it's interesting because right next to the governor's box is um, is the Catholic Diocese of uh, of New Orleans, their their um, their box. And it was interesting because it was full of priests um, watching the Saints game. So so the governor's box was right here, and then all the priests were dressed up in their priestly garb. Um, and there was an older man there who I, I realized, or I was told that was the third in line to the Pope. If the Pope died, the next guy died, then he would be third in line to the Pope. Um, and if you don't know that, that's a pretty big deal to be that close to somebody who was that important. And I was there able to sit in that box and be treated like a VIP. At some point, maybe you've had that opportunity to be treated that way. You're ushered in. You're, you're taken past All of the stuff that usually you can't get past, you can't get behind, you can't see those things. And God says, because you were with me, you have been brought in, brought into my family, brought into my kingdom. You've been brought near to God and you're made like him. See, you don't only just, it's not just that you come, but, and, and it was fabulous to be there in the governor's box for a game. But what if the governor would have said to me, don't just come to my box, but come to my home. Dwell in my home. Live with me, and I'm going to take care of you. You see the difference there? And this is what God says. Don't just come for a time, but come and dwell with me, and I will dwell with you. Because you're no longer an alien. You're my child. You're invited to the table. You've been ushered in forever, adopted by God. You're brought in. Secondly, you're built up in these verses. Um, uh, Look in verse uh, 20. He says, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In verse 22, he says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You're brought in to dwell with God and for him to dwell with you, but you're also being built up together. Not just you, and I want you to understand this. When we talk about the temple of God, the new temple of God, you aren't the temple individually, but all of us together The y'all here, we are the temple of God. You can't have the temple without the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone. We're built upon the foundations of the prophets and the apostles. You can't be built in together apart from what we have as the word of God uh, through the apostles and the prophets. But then also, we're not the temple of God without each other being brought together and built up. Uh, Paul switches the metaphor from family to building. Uh, We're not just brought in together, not just to dwell together, but I want you to understand something, that we are the dwelling place of God. This is the peace that he's talking about. It's not just that we know God, but that we have God with us everywhere we go. As the temple of God, we are the dwelling place of God. So get the picture here. Where was the dwelling place in the Old Testament? It was the Holy of Holies that nobody could go to. That no one could go to. But guess what? Where does God dwell now? In the church. And where does the church go? The church goes everywhere. So that you are representing God everywhere you go. And people see the peace of God where you are. So whether that's later on today when you're eating with your family. So whether that's tomorrow when you're going to work and you're aggravated by the things at work, when you're standing in line at Walmart and the teller just won't, or the, the, the lady checking out just won't move and, and all of these things are happening, things are bad, you are the dwelling place of God. You have peace because of that. Um, and it needs to be said, I think, that, that um, real peace for Christians doesn't come in getting away from Christians. As the church of God, as we're being built together and built on top of each other, um, we can't be the fullest expression of the dwelling place of God without each other. Um, I find a tendency in Clinton, Louisiana, for people to move here and to live here because they don't like people very much. We like to get in our spaces. We like to go back to our homes. We like to... Um, we'll check in on Sunday mornings, but you know, we're not going to check in with each other during the week because it's more comfortable and it's easier for us to be separated during the week. And we think, well, that's where real peace comes from. Real peace comes from not being bothered. This passage tells us that real peace comes from taking on the bother of other Christians and reaching out to each other throughout the week And sharing each other's burdens. It's not easy, but that's where peace comes from. Finally, in verse 21, he says we're banded together. Verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Um, We are being banded together as God's people. So real peace, if you want peace, well, you have to experience peace and fellowship with other Christians. You don't get peace in the world from all the divisions, the um, 
the world makes lots of different divisions, and it says you're divided by race, you're divided by class, you're divided by all sorts of things. But real peace comes from God breaking down all those walls and saying, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave or free. But in Christ, we are all one, and that's where real peace comes from. Do you actually possess it? Do you have that peace? Or are you still trying to make your own way? Let me, in conclusion, just uh, mention somebody. Uh, there's a, a missionary that I read about this week named Peter Jasek. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he's um, a man that, um, uh, I think he was Romanian. He was a Romanian missionary or maybe from the, the Ukraine. Um, but he was doing mission work in the South Sudan um, he was uh, trying to spread the gospel there, and he was arrested. Uh, uh, he was arrested by the, the, uh, the police force there, thrown in a prison, and uh, was forced to live in a prison cell with six ISIS fighters. So for about a year or six months was in this prison cell with six men who hated Christians. Uh, the South Sudanian uh, police didn't protect him, didn't do anything, and day after day he was beaten he was uh, abused in, in many horrific ways for six months. And uh, in reading this, this missionary, um, uh, he, he said that, you know, after a while, them beating them, them beating him, he began to accept it. But not just accept it and be okay with it. He began to pray for the men who were beating him. And he began to have, he said, something would happen that from the moment I woke up and they began to beat me and abuse me, that I began to experience something I'd never experienced before. And that's the true, real peace of God. And I was able to pray for my captors. I was able to pray for those who were abusing me and beating me. Through his captivities, 14 months long, he was in prison. Forty people came to know Christ because he was able to share the peace of Christ with him through his abuse. Real peace doesn't come from getting away from trials or tribulations or hardship, but it comes as you see Christ at work in the midst of those things. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this day, and we thank you for a peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray, Father, that you would help us uh, to have that peace, the peace that only you can give. And we pray this in Christ's name.